The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us once again. This is Season 4, Episode 9. If you're just joining us or if you've just found us, you can like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Find out more information there and comment on posts. Interact with us. Send us a message. Let us know you're listening. Let us know you're out there. New episodes drop every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us through either one of those services and rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. This is a high school football podcast. Podcast about what else? High school football in the Mid Ohio Valley of West Virginia and Ohio. We got a lot to talk about with last week's games. Some big wins on the schedule this past week. PHS with an upset over Parkersburg South, twenty-eight to nineteen. And that was a big red team that had been battling injury and illness. There were some COVID issues there, but somehow they found a way. They were down fifteen players, according to Mike Bias, the head coach of the Big Reds, that should have been playing a role in that game. But they also have a deeper roster than maybe they'd even realized. Austin Fleming in his second start as a running back for Parkersburg was a revelation for PHS. Nine carries, 78 yards, and a touchdown run. He also would return an onside kick for a touchdown later in the ballgame. So forced to look deeper in their roster when their top two running back options had issues with COVID. The Big Reds dug deep and found Austin Fleming and Fleming delivered. Limited action for him the week before, just six carries and only nine carries on Friday against Parkersburg South, but he did enough to take attention away from Bryson Singer to give David Parsons some room to find other people in the offense. They used Anthony Ice a little bit. They used Andrew Stolnicker. He caught a touchdown pass for the Big Reds. So they're digging deeper and deeper into this roster to find talent after injuries and COVID issues have limited some players. In the battle between Bryson Singer and Cyrus Traw, it's interesting that both of those guys got 20 touches. Singer with 18 carries, two catches. He didn't throw the ball, no pass attempts, but he did run for a touchdown. Cyrus Traw got 20 touches as well. 9 of 39 on the ground, but he caught 11 balls for 106 yards and two receiving touchdowns. PHS built up a 14-0 lead by the second quarter, and South scored at the end of the half with 11 seconds to go on a beautiful ball thrown by Robert Shockey to Cyrus Trawley, a high point of one in the back right corner of the end zone to make it a 14-6 game going into the locker room. South was down 20-6 in the fourth quarter before they scored 13 straight. Shockey found Traw again in the front right corner of the end zone to pull South within one score, and then after they were denied inside the five-yard line, PHS had a little over two minutes to run off the clock, and they couldn't do it. Bryson Singer fumbled. South got the ball back with about 30 seconds seconds left, and I can't emphasize enough just how close South was to not having that chance. If Singer goes down, even if it brings up fourth down because he was running the ball to try to run out the clock on third down. Even if it brings up fourth down, the game's probably over. He didn't get down. The ball came out. South recovered. And with 30 seconds left, new life for the Patriots. And Robert Shockey took it in from 20 yards out for a rushing touchdown that pulled South within two. They tried the swinging door formation. A two-point conversion play that worked for them the previous week. It didn't work for Parkersburg South. And to make a bad situation worse, they tried an onside kick after that was returned for a touchdown. So a two-point game became a nine-point PHS win at 28-19. For South, they were beset by a defense that had poor tackling and again bad special teams play. There was a missed extra point early on. The punting failed to flip the field all night long as Parkersburg South was consistently defending on a short field throughout the game. And even though it wasn't a kick, the extra point try was a two-point try, so that is essentially your special teams package, and it blew up like a joke cigar. Did not work for Parkersburg South. PHS, again, if they can grit their way through a couple wins, they're going to be a dangerous team down the stretch 
much because they've got all kinds of talent. Bryson Singer hasn't really been able to play quarterback yet for this team. They're having to cobble together any group of guys, any alignment, any offense that they can, and they got it done, scoring 28 points against Parkersburg South in a 28-19 upset win. We'll have much more on that game later in the program. Ritchie County cruised past St. Mary's 36-7. The Blue Devils were done in by mistakes in the red zone once again, missing out on opportunities to score in the first half. Gus Morrison on offense had a rushing and receiving score, and he also had a pick six for a touchdown, returned an interception for a score. Brandon Riddle also had two rushing touchdowns for Ritchie County, as this Rebel team is using the same recipe that they've used in the Rick Hot era. Lean on a couple players early in the season, develop secondary threats where you can, and by the end of the season, you'll have a wide array of weapons from which to choose if you want to win a ball game, and that's what's going on here. We're seeing an emergence of Riddle in the running game in a way we really hadn't seen last year. Austin Bartlett caught a pass on a two-point conversion try. He's someone that is a possible option as a receiver for Ethan Hot down the road. In a ball game that was decided by four scores, kind of surprising that Richie County only outgained St. Mary's 305 to 206 in total yardage, especially after the Rebels racked up over 500 total yards against Wahama in their overtime win the week before. But they won the turnover battle 4-1. to St. Mary's fumbled it away three times. They had an interception thrown as well. Richie County did a much better job of holding onto the football. That was the difference in their 36-7 win over St. Mary's. Taryn Malone will have much more on that game later on in the program. Williamstown rolled over Buffalo 49-6. Third straight win for the Yellow Jackets. And how about this feat? And this is an impressive feat anytime you can do this in football. Williamstown had three different players rush for over 100 yards. Trevor Oates carried it 14 times for 120 yards and three touchdowns. Ricky Allen had six carries, 110 yards and two scores. And Maxwell Melissa topped them all with 12 carries, 135 yards and two touchdowns. All told, as a team, they outgained Buffalo 531 to 118 with 464 yards of that coming on the ground dominant win for Williamstown, so the Yellow Jackets are off before they face you-know-who on September the 1st. And not the worst way to come into St. Mary's because after Williamstown lost that opener against Waterford, they had to be thinking that there was a real chance they would lose at least one of those three games that followed, but they didn't do so. They got a big win over Warren the following week. Buffalo, you had to think, might have been a trap game for them because it was a long trip, and Buffalo's been expected to do some things this year in Class 8. It hasn't worked out for them yet. But the Yellow Jackets with three straight wins come into that matchup with St. Mary's exactly how you'd want to come into it. Feeling good, winning ball games, and they'll have an extra week to prepare for the Blue Devils. Frontier got back to their winning ways. They lost last week after three straight wins to open the season. They're to 4-1 and one now with a 54-12 triumph over Valley. J.D. Schmidt have a 90 through three touchdown passes all to Tanner Bills. Bills also ran for a score. Schmidt ran for two more himself, and he had one of two pick sixes in the contest. So Schmidt accounted for six touchdowns in the game, five offensively and one defensively, and Lucas Cox also had a pick six in the game. So this is the second game this season where Frontier has returned two interceptions for touchdown, and for Lucas Cox, it's the third time this year he's done that. To have three interceptions in a season as a player is an impressive accomplishment, but to take three interceptions to the house, that is almost the stuff of legend, and that's what Lucas Cox has managed to do at Frontier. But again, four pick sixes as a season for that Cougar defense, and they come away with a dominant 54-12 win over Valley. Marietta is above 500. The Tigers go to 3-2, and two, winning their third straight. They did it on the ground the last two weeks. As we said, Zach Bartlett had 11 rushing touchdowns in their first two wins of the season. They did it with Tyler Gerber's arm this week. Gerber connected with Caden Durham for three touchdown passes. Gerber also ran for a score, and the aforementioned Zach Bartlett had a pick six. So a big win for Marietta. The Tigers go to 3-2 and two after knocking off Ripley. We'll wait to see what comes next for them. Their matchup this weekend against Weir was canceled because of COVID issues. 
issues at Weir High School. And Tyler Consolidated had to wait until Monday to play, but it was worth the wait for them as they got a W over Calhoun. Back-to-back wins for the Silver Knights after knocking off Calhoun 46-14 on Monday. So for the Silver Knights, they'll come back on a short week. That's going to be tough enough to do, but they've got to face the 3-1 Wart County Tigers, and Jason Hickman's got that club rolling. So though they've got some positive momentum at Tyler Consolidated High School, it's not going to be an easy task for them this week as they go to face Wart County. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Time to go between the hash marks and take a deep look at those rivalry games from a week ago. I've got five takeaways from the Parkersburg South PHS game that I want to expand upon a little bit. Taryn Malone will join in a little bit, and he's got five takeaways on the St. Mary's Ritchie County game that he saw. First things first, PHS and likely a lot of other teams have more talent on their rosters than maybe even they realize. And in baseball, this is something that I've heard for a long time, is that the best teams, the best front offices, are the ones that can best evaluate their own talent and their own minor league systems. What exactly do they have down below, what exactly is there on your own roster, and what can those guys do? And I think that's true in high school football as well. I think we're learning, and PHS is learning, and if you're not learning this from PHS, maybe pay attention to what they're doing. We're learning that there is maybe more talent on those roster and more guys that can do things on that roster than a lot of teams realize, because they were down two running backs against Parkersburg South on Friday, and Austin Fleming has stepped in for them really only on a week's notice, and he's been good in that running game. He's not ripped off 100 yards in a game yet, but what he does is he gets good effective carries, he works on a defense, he's a good runner, but most importantly, he takes attention away from Bryson Singer. There's somewhere else you can go with the football, and you're developing a weapon for when you get back to more of a full-strength situation. So for Fleming, he's been a revelation for this team, but it sometimes goes to show you how deep these rosters are when maybe you don't even realize it. So if you get creative in a situation, if you have a staff that can get creative and figure out where to plug your best athletes, your available athletes, you might have more there than you realize. There might be more to the ingredients of that recipe than meets the eye initially. The matchup between Bryson Singer and Cyrus Traw was a delight to watch, and those two really didn't go head-to-head a lot. They did on one key fourth down play in the first quarter. PHS in the first half was denied three times inside the the 30-yard line twice in the red zone, and once on fourth down, it came down to Bryson Singer versus Cyrus Traw. Singer could not get around Traw, and they were kind of dancing a little bit near the sidelines when another South player came to finish the tackle on Bryson Singer. It was definitely a game where one of those two athletes was going to will their respective team to a victory later in the game. Cyrus did his very best for Parkersburg South to do so with a touchdown that pulled South within a score, and then a key third down tackle that led to South getting the ball back. Unfortunately, that driver South stalled inside the five-yard line. They got the ball back after Singer fumbled, and then South tried to get the ball to Traw again after Robert Shockey scored to pull the Patriots to within two. They tried to get the ball to Traw on that two-point conversion try. It was the swinging door formation. The snap didn't even make it all the way back to Robert Shockey. It was kicked around, and the play went kaput after that. But the design of that play was to try to find Cyrus Traw with some open space. Those two guys were clearly the guys that were going to win or lose the game for their respective teams. A lot's put on their shoulders. Singer's a senior. Traw only a junior. Hard to imagine we still have another year potentially of Cyrus Traw in high school sports, but those two gave it their all. They laid it on the line, and they played a spectacular game. And to see two great athletes go up against one another was the real treat of this game. The teams were were fantastic, and for PHS, they were able to milk a big effort out of a roster that was a lot depleted. But to see two individual athletes go the way they went, that was a lot of fun. The third takeaway from South PHS was that South still has all kinds of problems, and their biggest overarching problem is 
consistency. Their special teams, I've said this a few times to a few different people, their special teams against university weren't just the worst special teams I've seen this season out of a high school football team or out of Parkersburg South. Their special teams against university were maybe the worst special teams I have ever seen at the high school level. And I'm not trying to be mean about that. There were breakdowns everywhere. They couldn't kick extra points. They weren't punting successfully. The university blocked two punts in that game. They would get penalties when they would return kicks. They wouldn't defend well when others were returning kicks. I believe a punt was returned against them for a score in that game. I have to go look it up. But there were breakdowns in every possible facet of special teams. And then the following week, South goes and plays Woodrow Wilson and then cleans a lot of those mistakes up. And they looked a lot better on special teams. But then Friday against Parkersburg, some of those same issues crept up again. South just was not able to flip the field to the punt game all night. It got to where on fourth down, just about wherever they were on the field, you were expecting Parkersburg South to go for it because it made no sense for them to punt the ball in that situation. And when you can't effectively flip the field and play field position, you're asking a lot of your defense. And the more you ask your defense to defend a short field, odds are the more often they're not going to be able to do it. It's tough to bend but don't break when there's not a lot of flexibility to work with. In addition to special teams woes, penalties were a big issue for Parkersburg South because they gifted PHS a couple first downs in that game through penalties, including one sequence where PHS was held at third and nine. South jumped twice, first to go to third and four, and then first and ten. When you got a team backed up at third and nine, that's when you need to be at your best and you need to make a big stop, and PHS got off the hook and got a cheap first down that way. But they are who we thought they were! And we let him off the hook. The penalties, the special teams issues, they all boil down to consistency. South is 2-0 at home this year, and they're 0-2 on the road. And they've alternated weeks between home and road. So I don't know if it's quite being on the road because, again, Stadium Field just across town, not that far. But Parkersburg South just cannot seem to build that consistency from one game to the next that they need to be an elite team and to be even an average team, to be quite honest, because it's a very Jekyll and Hyde season so far from them. Another thing that was a takeaway is we wondered a little bit what would the effect be of playing this game in Week 4. This is as early as this game has been in a season. Even when this game wasn't the last game of the year, it was typically week five or week six, late September, early October, a little closer to mid-season than where we were in week four. Again, there were two reasons floated around. The one that I heard that the schools were putting out there was to create a rivalry week, and the schools ended up tied at three, with Parkersburg South winning three varsity contests and PHS winning three varsity contests. They competed in all their varsity sports in the same week. It was really cool to see that on the calendar and see all those competitions between these two great schools all put in the same week. The cynical reason for putting this game early in the season was that if COVID became an issue once again, like it did last year, it's a lot easier to see this game getting in in week four than waiting around for it in a week 11 that may never come. That's not what, how it worked out last year. We got to week 11. Unfortunately, Parkersburg South didn't get there with it. There was an outbreak of Parkersburg South and the game got shut down. Playing in week four, though, you get the game in, you get the game in in warmer weather, so you don't have the weather concerns. It's a beautiful night for football, a little warm for some people's liking, but I enjoyed it as a broadcast. But with only three games prior, there's good and bad. The good is the rosters, in most cases, should have been healthier. Parkersburg South was playing with a full contingent. PHS was not because of the injury issues they've suffered. They've had five broken legs this year. South has had two themselves, so they haven't exactly been healthy themselves. There were COVID issues as well at Parkersburg High School that just didn't seem to exist at Parkersburg South. So by the odds, you'd be less likely to have guys hurt in week four than maybe week 10 or 11. But that's just not the way it worked out this week. So that's one effect that you 
should have in future years if this game stays in week four. Another one on the downside is that maybe these teams don't have as much to scout and these teams can sneak a few things over on other teams. Maybe a formation or a trick play a lot easier to spring up and hope that a team hasn't seen that in week four or five versus week 10 or 11. But like I said, weather a lot less likely to play a factor and what you can do and how the game is played week four as compared to later in the year when it's cold, possibly rainy, maybe muddy on a field that's in less than ideal shape. Of course, turf was the surface the other night, but still weather not going to play an impact week four the way it would week 11. And my final takeaway from Parkersburg South and PHS is the play of David Parsons and what he could possibly bring to this Parkersburg offense. He's a quarterback largely because that gives him Bryson Singer to throw the ball to and they can use Singer to run the ball there or a quarterback just the same. But what about Parsons as a wide receiver threat? PHS had lined him up there a few times. How legitimate is that? Is he a real target to throw the football to or is he just someone that's going to line up there and maybe draw some attention away from Bryson Singer when Singer goes back to play quarterback? Parsons does a fine job running the position through a touchdown pass to Andrew Stonecker, throws a good ball and manages the position well, facilitates that offense well. No, he's not the dynamic player that Bryson Singer is, but who is, to be quite honest. Mike Bias was talking to me about this last week when I went to visit him and, and get, get the interview that you heard on last week's show. And I believe in the interview, he says uh, Bryson Singer's a starting quarterback. He's always going to be considered that. That's what he said to me off the air. Here's what he said to me on the air about Bryson Singer. I don't ever, and I told Bryson this the other day, out of respect for his work ethic and out of respect for everything he's put into this program and what he means to this program, I don't ever move him anywhere without asking him. I don't tell him you're going to go do this. Not to mention, he's the first one to come to me and say, Coach, I can do this if it helps and, and somebody else can do that. And I don't just come up with ideas to move him from the quarterback position. And I, I've had that for all three years. People want to say, well, won't you just put him at running back? Well, yeah. if you look at the spread offense, if the running back beside of him is a capable runner and capable blocker, all you're doing is eliminating the middleman by taking another quarterback having to take the ball from the center and turn around and hand it to Bryson. Why not just snap it to Bryson? We've had to do, because of personnel issues, we've had to move some things around. And like I said, Bryson's the first one. He wants to do multiple things. And he's good at doing multiple things. And so you have to take somebody like him who can do something else and bring somebody else in who maybe can't do everything Bryson can do, but they can do this. Mm -hmm. And so you have to fit that into 11 people to give yourself. If we didn't do that and the kids didn't buy into doing that, we would have had no chance against a very much improved from week one capital team. Again, that's PHS head coach Mike Bias. So they will use Parsons a quarterback, and they'll get Singer back there when they can, but is one way to do that using Parsons at receiver? Who knows? It's possible that that is an option they lean on later in the year, and as they develop some of these threats with Parsons a quarterback, maybe they use Singer a quarterback and help him get the ball to some of these newfound receiving threats. And another thing that's kind of a bonus, how truthful really was Mike Bias about the injury illness issues at PHS? PHS because you heard a very Huckleberry Hound sounding Mike Bias in the interview we ran last week on the program. The whole interview that ended with, we might just have to take a knee on every down. And maybe things were worse there Tuesday when I visited him last week than they ended up being on Friday. They needed a miracle in the two days after I saw them and they appeared to have gotten one. But was that gamesmanship? Was that a bit of a bluff? Who knows? The answer is probably somewhere in between. They probably were on the verge of some issues, but figured those out and figured out a way to get on the field. I don't know. 
know. But either way, PHS came on the field, and though it looked like they were a team that was somewhat out of sorts because there were penalties for guys lining up in the wrong place and penalties that would be indicative of a team that hadn't practiced certain guys at certain spots because they just couldn't get those guys on the field. There were mistakes indicative of that, but again, how much was he bluffing when he was saying that this is a team that was downtrodden, forlorn, injury riddled and beaten up? I feel like some of that might have been a little bit of gamesmanship to try to get the word out there that his team was battered and, and maybe try to get South to come in a little overconfident. And I'm not saying that they came in overconfident because I certainly don't know that a lot of people listened to this podcast and told South, hey, well, this is what we're hearing. But I feel like this podcast might have contributed to the water cooler effect of getting the word out there about a team that was not at their best or was not at their healthiest. So was this podcast used in that way? I don't know. I don't think Mike Bias was telling anybody what he had and what he didn't really have. Uh, when it came to the Parkersburg South game, but they definitely seem to have plenty in the cupboard for Parkersburg South. Tara Malone covered the St. Mary's Ritchie County game for Metro News on Friday, and if you haven't seen, he has a really nice highlight package that's available on social media and on the Metro News website. Taryn gives some of his takeaways about that St. Mary's Ritchie County game. Taryn? Hey, Eric, and here is my top five takeaways from last Friday's rivalry matchup between Ritchie County and St. Mary's. Coming in at number five, great atmosphere. This game was held in Ellenboro. Both fan bases showed up and filled the stands, and the whole complex was booming, figuratively and literally, with a cannon. Coming in at number four, sportsmanship. Although this may sound very cliche, there were zero complaints or fights from either side between the Blue Devils and the Rebels. When many think of a rivalry, Eric, some may think of some pushing and shoving going on or even a few statements that shouldn't be said. However, give credit to both programs on keeping the game very clean and hard fought as well. Coming in at number three, St. Mary's on the rebuild. Since winning the 2020 Class Single A State Championship, St. Mary's is now in the process of rebuilding their successful program. Despite last week's loss, the Blue Devils will be seeking to try to squeeze into the Class Single A playoff picture this season, but do not be surprised if they are in the lower part of the bracket. Coming in at number two, the Rick Hot era. Since taking the football head coaching job, Coach Rick Hot is now 3-1 and one against Jody Moat and the St. Mary's Blue Devils. He and the Rebels have won 11 straight games so far. He is 30-8 and eight in just four seasons, and Richie's last loss came from Doddridge County last season by a final score of 9-8. to eight. And finally, Eric at number one, Richie to do great things this season. Since watching the Rebels play last Friday night, there is no doubt in my mind that they are the number one team this season in Class Single A. Richie County has passed my eye test since the season began nearly a month ago, and they are the team I believe that we could see at Wheeling Island Stadium in early December's playing for a Class Single A state championship. Although there are 10 more weeks to go, I feel very confident in that assessment. Moving forward to our local games of the week, the Route 50 rivalry will continue as 3-0 Ritchie County will travel to 2-0 Doddridge County, and then 2-2 Tyler Consolidated will be traveling to 3-1 Work County. For week number five of the statewide games of the week, in Class AAA, 3-0 South Charleston will visit 3-1 Spring Valley. Meanwhile, we drop down to Class AA, 3-0 Class AAA Bridgeport at 2-1 Robert C. Bird, and then finally, in Class Single A, 2-1 Man at 2-2 two two Wheeling Central Catholic. That was a look at my takeaways this past week and my games of the week. Eric, back to you. Thank you, Taryn. It's always nice to get his opinions on things, especially when I saw one of the games that we talked about a lot last week in South and PHS, and Taryn saw the other in St. Mary's and Ritchie. I like that he mentioned sportsmanship, and I like that he mentioned a pumped-up crowd. It's so great to see sportsmanship in two communities that share so much in common. For instance, a lot of those student-athletes know one another from various things, including the fact they both probably have some classes together at MOFT, 
Cacti, for instance, in a lot of cases. For those of you that aren't in the area, that's the Mid-Ohio Valley Technical Institute. For those of you that are of this area and a little older, it's the former PRT. And I'm glad that that sportsmanship extended to the crowd as well, which gets me to this point. Even though there is the pandemic going on, it is so nice to see crowds return in force and to see people come out into the community. And that really is a bit of a double-edged sword because if you're not vaccinated, be careful. Go wear a mask and things like that when you go congregate in large groups because COVID is spreading pretty rapidly throughout the area. Don't take chances that may end up leaving you in a hospital or worse. That having been said, I know there's a pandemic going on. I know there are a lot of people that are sick right now and a lot of people that are dying from COVID-19. It is still nice to see crowds come back to sports and to see us enjoy sports the way we used to beforehand. Those two things are mutually exclusive. And I know that sometimes it can be a little difficult to feel like we should be enjoying sports when there is so much sickness, and there is so much death in our communities. But just take the proper precautions. Get vaccinated if you haven't already. If you're not vaccinated or can't get vaccinated, wear a mask so that you can protect yourself and protect others and help us stop the spread. And maybe one day we can get this under control to where we won't have to worry about some of these measures. I don't have to worry about some of these things, and we can build up immune systems to COVID-19 because COVID-19 is not going anywhere, but we can put this virus under control because we have the tools to do that. So crowds, nice to see them back. Thank you, Taryn, for your contributions again this week. Games on Seven Ranges Radio this week. Light Rock 93R airs St. Mary's against Calhoun County. It's a road game for St. Mary's. B96-9 has the return of Parkersburg South to Erickson All Sports Facility as they host John Marshall. WVAM, the true oldies channel, has Parkersburg High School in a tough one against Cabell Midland. And new this week and for the rest of the regular season, or most of the rest of the season at least, WXCR 92.3 and WXCR.com will air as many Richie games as they're able to do. I know there are some scheduling issues with the announcers that we've got crewed there, and we may not be able to cover all of those games, but I believe we are going to start covering Ritchie County. Again, that's 92.3 on your FM dial. Doesn't always pick up in some areas of Ritchie County, but WXCR.com or WXCR through the TuneIn app should be able to get you that station, and we'll have Ritchie County and Doddridge on WXCR 92.3 FM. We used to carry Tyler Consolidated Games on that station, and uh, we've occasionally carried River High School in the past on that station. Now it'll be Ritchie County, at least for much of the rest of this season. We'll continue to keep you posted on that week to week, and I'm sure we'll have a schedule on our website uh, here in the near future as well on WXCR's website at WXCR.com. But again, Richie Doddridge on WXCR. So four games on the stations of Seven Ranges Radio this week. My games of the week mirror a lot of what Taryn Malone put out there. Uh, let's get to the small school ones. He mentioned Richie County and Doddridge County. Richie knows full well that their last loss was to these Doddridge County Bulldogs 9-8 to and they had a chance to win it late and weren't able to take advantage of it. I'm sure they'll be somewhat revenge-minded and possibly more revenge-minded against Doddridge County than they were against St. Mary's last week. And I do think having Doddridge County the week after that St. Mary's game for Ritchie County helps them refocus. They can't really keep their eyes on the rearview mirror and look at that St. Mary's win, and they cannot continue to bask in the glow of that win. They've got to turn their focus really quickly and pivot toward Doddridge County, and that's a team that beat them last year. Doddridge doesn't throw the ball around like they have the last couple years for a long time under Bobby Burnside. That was a very run-first offense, and then they opened things up in the passing game the last few years when they got a little bit more diverse on offense. Now they're running the football a lot more. So it's a little bit of back-to-basics for Doddridge County until they develop that passing game. Tyler Consolidated and Wart County is another one on my list to watch this week. Tyler started at 0-2, then they got back-to-back wins. But the second of those wins came on Monday against Calhoun County. And now they've got a 3-1 Wart County team that was a playoff team last year. They've got a quality win or two under their belts already this year. So for Tyler Consolidated, they've won two straight, but coming in off short rest against a good team and a 2020 playoff team, that will not be easy. And i got PHS and Cabell Midland. The Big Reds have won two straight, and they're going to go face 
Classic Cabo Midland team that will run the football. Now the problem is, can PHS stay in that game and how long can they make that a game? I tend to think it might be two and a half quarters before the running game of Cabo Midland begins to wear down PHS, but if PHS can play some ball control and if they can maintain control the clock, they may have a chance to get some things done. They'll move the ball and they'll score some points in this game, I really do think. And they'll be competitive. I just don't think, given the health of this roster and given the depth of this roster right now, they have the horses to run with Cabo Midland for more than two and a half quarters. But we'll see. That's why they play the games. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Rate us and review us on Apple if you would. Send us a comment on Facebook. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if there's anything we should touch on. Let us know if you have any opinions, and we'll be glad to take those. used to have a poll, but I stopped being able to run those polls on the Facebook page. I kind of miss those, so maybe we'll look to try to get those back in some way, shape, or fashion down the road. We'll have another episode next week. I would imagine it's going to be somewhat Class A centered because St. Mary's and Williamstown play in that mammoth matchup every year, right in the middle of the season. Hard to believe we're at the midpoint of the season already. It's been a fun one. I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed being with us, too. Thank you ever so much for your support each and every week. And until we talk to you next week, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode. And thanks for listening. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. 